So sitting here today and slightly sweating, <laughs> sweating in England, <laughs> I was thinking, wow, this is nearly like South Africa. <laughs> Not so hot, though. And then, thinking, but in France, it's even hotter. Yes. And so I want to speak today about tonality, Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A. And generally it is translated as feeling told. But of course feeling told is very much conditioned by perception. If I am sitting here thinking, God, this is as hot as South Africa, then I feel even hotter. But then if I feel, ah, in France, it's even hotter, it's better to be here. Then it doesn't feel so bad. So why Vedana? Because actually, if you look at the Eightfold Path, one of the paths is appropriate mindfulness, samasati. You can say authentic mindfulness. Personally, I like to say caring and careful mindfulness. And so generally, this mindfulness will be talked in terms of the four foundations. So the mindfulness of the body, which includes the breath. <coughs> the second one being the mindfulness of Vedana, mindfulness of feeling tone. Then there is a mindfulness of mental states. And then there is mindfulness of many different things, like the four truths, like the four tasks, or it can be the special powers, obstacle. I mean, there is a whole range for the four different lists one can look into. But personally, I feel that one of the important things to look at in terms of the practice, and we can really explore this on a retreat, and then we can really take this in daily life. Because on the retreat, generally, the tonality will be in a more, in a narrow uh, range. When in daily life, it will, they will be generally more obvious. So there is a wonderful text, which you can find. There is a very nice, I'll give you the, the write-up later. At the end of the retreat, we'll give you various links, various uh, infos, and one of them would be the link to access to insight. It's a very nice website with lots of reference to text. And if on that website you put 108 Vedanas, you come to one of my favorite texts. And the text, of course, is called 108 Feeling Talks. So let's see if I can cover them in 45 minutes. <laughs> but I'll talk about them tomorrow, too, in the instruction. But I like just to, to me, the Vedana, the feeling tones, actually have a connection with practice, have also connection 
with the Brahma Viharas, with the qualities, and also can be connected to ethics. So I think it has kind of many different connections. That's why I think it's so important. But when the Buddha talks about Vedana, and he mentions them quite often, what does he mean? Because this is the first thing. We are supposed to be mindful of Vedana. What, what are these Vedana? What are they? And if they are 108, why? So, I shall show you a way of Dharma presentation by which there are 108 feeling tones. In one way, I have spoken of two kinds of feeling. In other way, of 3, 5, 6, 18, 36, and if you kind of multiply, 108. What are the two feelings, feeling tones? Bodily and mental tonality. So here when we talk of Vedana, it's translated as feeling tones. It can also be just said, often at the beginning it was more translated just as feeling, or it was translated like in the Goenka tradition as sensation. And this is the explanation. And so some people will say, Vedana, no, 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 they are you know, mental. Vedana, no, 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 they are bodily. But here the Buddha says they are both. You have a bodily tonality and you also have a mental tonality. So it's kind of both and it depends on the condition. So you can put the emphasis on the mental, you can put the emphasis on the bodily. What are the three feelings? And here it gets a little clearer what we're talking about. Pleasant, painful, neither painful nor pleasant feeling. So you have pleasant, unpleasant, and neither. We could say neutral for short, or just neither. So here, when we talk of these feeling tones, we're really talking about the tonality. So we're not talking about a full-blown emotion, a complex emotion like anger, sadness, joy, fear. We're not talking about that. We are actually talking about this kind of very strange thing that Sometimes it's quite subtle, and that's what generally we're not so aware of, and we become more aware of once it hits us and it makes us react. Because tonality, and that's why in a way kind of like the, what the Buddha saw, was that we have an, he called that the underlying tendency connected to the Vedana. That if it's pleasant, I want more of it. Who came back for the Banofi pie? <laughs> or who saw it and thought, hmm, how much should I have? <laughs> the knife can like oscillating before you say, I love that. Personally, I had a very small one. <laughs> 
I just wanted to experiment. I'm always curious about these things. I'm not keen on bananas, especially. <laughs> but this is interesting. Leather? Mm. Like, you know, you, you're eating your banoffee pie, and it was a very nice one, I would say. And so you, mmm. And you're not even finished the first bite and the first chew that you're thinking, I'll go and look if there is leftover later. <laughs> so you're not finished your, your piece and you're already thinking, hmm, it'd be nice to have more. And that's what the Buddha pointed out. Pleasant? Hmm. I want more? Or I want to repeat it? That's a little, the, little difficult. You know, uh, you, want to, you have a pleasant experience. You have a nice weekend with your friends. You leave their house and you say, let's do this again. And you basically say, can we reproduce the same experience, the same condition, to have the same pleasant feeling tone? But there is no guarantee. I'm not saying you cannot have another nice weekend with your friends. But will you have exactly the same feeling tone? That's not guaranteed. So we kind of want to repeat it. Or we want more of it. And so in a way it's kind of like noticing that, kind of that, the repetition, kind of, hmm, it's good. I want more of it. I want to repeat it. And we can also do that with meditation experiences. Hmm, I had this insight, or I had this hmm moment of nearby. I want another one. But are you going to get the same one? Are you going to get another one? This is, do I want to repeat exactly the same thing? Or am I getting a different one? So this is interesting. When we sit in meditation, waiting for spe something special to happen, which we might have experienced before, or somebody talked talk to us about it, and we thought, hmm, I want that. And you're sitting there, where is it? I want it. It's supposed to be pleasant, not sweaty, right? <laughs> it's supposed to be cool and breezy. Unpleasant. I mean, unpleasant. I mean, where uh, this is kind of evolution, you know, unpleasant, as it was mentioned already by Tony, unpleasant. We are very fast. This is what is also interesting to notice with mindfulness. That if you take a scale of 0 to plus 10 for the pleasant and 0 to minus 10 for the unpleasant, for the pleasant, generally it needs to be plus 5 before we think, ah, that's nice, hmm, great, that's really good, hmm, I like this. If it's below 5, it's like, hmm, this is normal. So we kind of really shorten the range, actually. And then with the unpleasant range, <gasps> minus one. <gasps> and I mean, if we consider minus one, like minus 10, I mean, this is really, we augment the range in a way of the unpleasant. And so, you know, we have to be careful to see that the mindfulness of the feeling tone is not so that everybody becomes neither. Because often that's what people seem to think. Oh, everything must become neutral. Not at all. 
actually mindfulness of the feeling tone are going to is going to increase the pleasant range. So you're going to see much more different gradation. And it's going to help us to be more creatively engaged with the different types of suffering. All unpleasantness is not the same. We have this amazing association. Something is unpleasant, it reminds me of that other unpleasant thing. So then we can associate it. Instead of, oh, it's unpleasant now. How is it? unpleasant now, but it's, we have this incredible associative power with unpleasant, so we have to be very careful about that, because we can amplify it quite fast. So in a way, the mindfulness makes us see, hmm, response to minus one might be a little different to minus five or to minus ten. For example, if somebody says something you hear a lot in mindfulness, Circle of vipassana circle. If something happened, go deeply into it. And personally, I would say not. It depends what it is. If it's minus one, we generally can. Minus five depends. Minus ten, you're so aware of it. Why look deeply into it? There you want more to bring space within it. So in a way, if we see more graduation, gradation, then we can creatively engage with different types of unpleasant feeling tone. And then there is neither. I'm a great fan of neither. Because actually, through this mindfulness, I discovered it. And that's why it took me so long to do this practice because I would hear about this mindfulness or feeling tone, and I would sit there and look for it, look for it, and I could not find anything. So I thought, hmm, what is it? And then I realized, ah, this is neither. And this is a little bit of the challenge of the mindfulness, of just doing a retreat, that a lot of the time will be in neither. But it will be an opportunity to look a little bit, what is our relationship to neither pleasant nor unpleasant? Because you could look at it as, hmm, at least nothing bad is happening, which I would say is already something. Or we can look at it as nothing is happening. This is boring. I am boring. My life is boring. And then you can go to a really dark place, actually. And so, in a way, it's kind of to... How, how is it? Well, neither. And I don't think that neither is better than pleasant or unpleasant. I just think neither exists. So Stephen thinks it does not exist. We have a different idea there. Because you have a little citation which says, if you understand neither, it can become pleasant. If you don't understand neither, it can become very unpleasant. So in a way, neither will depend a lot on our perception of it. 
But personally, more than that, so basically what Stephen thinks, what is going to shift. Personally, I think there is more to it than that. In the fact, I would see more neither as a baseline. That we go up, we go down, and then time to time, the organism has to rest, has to kind of be in a kind of somewhat equilibrium, somewhat balanced, not much is happening, so we can rest a little. So personally, that would be more the way I would see it, that we go up, we go down, but generally we don't stay up here or we don't stay down there, and we just come back a little bit to the middle. Which means we don't have to go back to plus five, or think we have to go back to plus five. Because this is what is a little tricky. If you are a little kind of low mood, and you feel mm, a little kind of minus two, and you think, wow, I have to go back to plus five now, that's hard work. But just to go back a little bit to the baseline, that might be more possible. So in a way, I see kind of really that neither kind of can be an interesting thing to look at through many different angles. Then, what are the five feelings? The faculty of pleasure, the faculty of pain, of gladness, of sadness, and equanimity. This is interesting here. The Buddha is saying, you know, we are human beings. And we have pleasure, pain, gladness, sadness, equanimity. And so they're all possibility of what we can experience. So we have to see that when we practice meditation, we're really not trying to stop feeling, but more to investigate, to explore what is it I'm experiencing. And instead of going into kind of the precise naming of it, this is it, this is that, this is more to explore. When I experience pleasure, how is that? When I explore, experience pain, how is that? Gladness? How is that? Sadness? How is that? Equanimity? How is that? So in a way, kind of exploring the range of what we can experience. This, I think, is really part of the mindfulness of the feeling tone. Then, what are the six feelings? The feelings born of sense impression through eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. And that's where I think it's really the mindfulness really comes in, in terms of contact. So at the same time as there is contact, there is tonality. So in a way, here, we can really see how the tonality is conditioned. Because often, we attribute the tonality to the object. I mean, here in this room, uh, if you look slightly up, you have a regular contact with the green dragon. <laughs> and this is interesting, because I presume 
unless you've been here before, you've not been in a meditation room with a green dragon. <laughs> and then, contact. What do we look at? Do we look at the color? Do we look at the shape? Do we look at the, what it represents? So let's look at the color, green. I mean, colors have not done anything to us, as far as I know. Yellow has not jumped on you, red has not given you a hard time or a good time. But when we see a color, we generally have a tonality. You see red, hmm, and then present tonality. Or you see white, hmm, or you see white, or you see black, hmm, and another person see black, wow. So actually, colors, I think, is kind of really make this experiment when you look at people. And, I mean, you know, somebody who wears yellow. Who is? What's the matter with that person? <laughs> oh, somebody wears yellow. Wow, I love yellow. He must be such a great person. Just because they wear yellow. I mean, we have no idea. <laughs> so we have to see that actually, through contact and tonality, Unfortunately, prejudices come in. This bias really comes through these two doors. And so in a way, this is, comes from the culture, from our experience, from many different things. So to see it's very conditioned. The tonality is not in the green or in the yellow. It's in our encountering with it, our perception of it our history with it, etc., etc. So in a way, that's what is so interesting, because one moment you don't see something, and so you don't have a feeling to it. Next moment you see it, and you have the feeling to it. And then what do you do? do you, uh, are you taken by the underlying tendency, or do you creatively engage with it? So in a way, you could say it's at that point that we have the point of freedom, that we have the point of flexibility, of making a choice. That actually all this mindfulness, I feel partly is about us becoming more aware of contact. I mean, what, you're sitting there, and hopefully, apart from being possibly a little hot, or maybe you enjoy being hot, who knows? And you know, you're okay, and then certainly you remember something. This is what is interesting with thought. Thought is also a moment of contact. Thought also, there is a tonality. And so in a way, if you look at daydreaming, the tonality of daydreaming is, mm, if I was, if I had, and then it's so pleasant, Whoop. off we go, so that we can have more of the pleasant feeling too. But you could be sitting here and remembering something unpleasant, and then ruminate upon it, and then, in a way, amplifying the unpleasantness. So to see that actually you have the contact through the senses, when we eat, when we smell, when we see, see, I mean, when you do the walking meditation, 
This is such an area of just seeing and contact or listening and contact. I mean, uh, here, at one level, this place is relatively quiet, beautiful in the countryside, and at the same time, let's say there are kind of quite a few sounds around. <laughs> so what do you do? So you sit there, then you listen, you know, the little tweet, 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 and generally, pleasant, generally we find, it's interesting, you know, the bird also could be silent, but no, no, the birds are there, and generally we have no problem with the birds. <laughs> Even the peacock, you feel peacock, okay, as long as it's not all night, yes, the peacock. But then, we're sitting there, and bing, the door. Now I know where it came from. So I thought the noise came from there. Now I realize it's over there. And so you hear that. So you hear the little banging. And then what do you do with it? Oh, banging, yeah. <laughs> Pleasant. Oh, hmm, bell of mindfulness. Let's be back here. Oh, our great cook. What are they cooking today to go and get food in the pantry? <laughs> so, I mean, you have one sound, and you can do many different things with that sound. So, in a way, kind of, kind of becoming interested that, yes, we're not the same thing, we're not going to have the same reaction all the time to the thing. And also, if we know what it is, if we don't know what it is, or this is also what is so interesting with contact is impermanence. Like when we started the day with the listening meditation, so we had a day of the breath, the body, and then we had the listening, so we sit there after the instruction, the first sitting. And I don't know if over there you heard it, but on this side, suddenly there was this, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what it was. Uh, some kind of heating system, I presume. I don't know what it was. So I was sitting there. Um, I thought, hmm, good. Kind of something to hear. And then I was thinking, was it there yesterday and I did not hear it? Is it going to last the whole time? <laughs> okay. And then he goes. You think, oh, okay. He goes, comes back. <laughs> oh. And then he goes, and he does not come back. So it's kind of like, what do we do? This is the thing, we're not trying to stop the contact, we're not trying to stop the tonality, but we're more, what do we do with it? Are we kind of taken along <laughs> by the underlying tendency? Are we also noticing the difference according to how we perceive it, how we feel, if we're tired or not. So really exploring is, I think, is such a field that we can explore on a retreat, but of course at home also we can have lots of exploration with this contact and the feeling tone. 
And a final one, which is interesting in terms, you don't have it so much here, apart from what we said, but words. Words. I mean, they're interesting. What are words? Let's say just a little sonorous wave. I mean, even if you have the longest word in the English language, I mean, it would not last, I don't know, less than a second. So you have this utterance, this word. What do you do with it? Let's make a little experiment. I look at you. A little kind of... And I say, you are all stupid. <laughs> she said, I'm stupid? She's stupid to say I'm stupid? <gasps> or, I look at you really nicely. And I say, you are all awakened. <gasps> I am awakened. Martin said I'm awakened. <gasps> go and get some disciples like that. <laughs> but it's just a word. And as soon as I utter it, I mean talk about emptiness, as soon as I utter it, it is gone. I mean it's not floating here. All the words we're saying are not kind of like psh, kind of like they're gone. But we sitting in meditation and certainly we remember something somebody said two months ago, ten years ago, they said this. It's kind of nearly like there is a pin cushion here. And when a word comes, ping, kind of the pin stay there, and then time to time we move it a little, a little blood comes up, oh yeah, that was a pin. <laughs> but I mean, there is no pin cushion. And the word can't stick anywhere. Unless we stick to it. When there is contact, when there is tonality. But it doesn't mean that we accept any word that comes our way. But when we hear a word, I would say there is an important question. Is it about them or is it about me? A lot of the time, it's about them. If it's about them, Try to be creative with it, but don't stick to it. And if it's about you, you can look at the condition. You might have a tendency, you know, one, one time I had this, kind of, I was living in a community, Buddhist community, this is really tough, when you have the community meeting. You know? And then the guy said, oh, you Martin, I'm fed up, you know, always organizing us, I'm fed up. So, ooh, little pleasant. But he had a little point. I like to organize. But then it was, I thought, hmm, it's a pleasant, but he has a point. And maybe I should do it a little less. And that was very nice, actually. Because I became a little freer from my organizing. So that was good. Though it was unpleasant when it happened. So anyway, it's kind of like, is it about me? And maybe I can explore it in a creative, wise way. Or is it about them? And then I have to a little bit 
leave it with them and not identify with it, not stick with it. Then, this is getting interesting, what are the 18 feeling tones? They are the above six feelings by which there is an approach to the object in gladness, six approaches in sadness, and six approaches in equanimity. So basically, what he is saying, here is like when there is contact through the six senses, is within the contact, does the tonality will come with some gladness. So you have a contact, and the contact is like, oh, it's kind of like a, this kind of glad feeling around it. Hmm. And you feel a little hmm with it. Or is it going to have more the contact, a little sadness to it, a little heaviness to it? Ooh. Or is it going to have a little bit more of that equanimity, a kind of a, kind of a little equilibrium to it, kind of a little, not so much intensity to it? So it's kind of, in a way, exploring when we are in contact, those Gladness arise upon contact, sadness, or equanimity. And I think what we have to see here is that generally, again, of course, certain objects are more pleasant than others. But I think a lot of the time, it will depend on our condition. And that's what we can really notice, that if we really well, then generally we are in this hmm, quiet, Nice mood, oh yeah. And things seems to be easy. But when we're really tired and we have not slept well, and, and we kind of, it's a little bit me. When I have been at home and I have to take care of the garden, I have to take care of my mother, and also we have a new cat, and then there is, a, I have to do the shopping and many different things. And then generally, when I'm well, then it goes gladness and equanimity. Oh yeah, I do this, I do that, fine. But generally when I come from a retreat, it's like I leave the retreat, which very nice, meditation and wonderful people and everything, but I arrive at home extremely tired. But as soon as I hit home, but I have to take care of the garden. I, have, I don't have like kind of, I can't. I have to take care of my mother, I have to get, take care of the garden, take care of shopping, make sure everything is okay because somebody else was doing that when I was away. And then I know for a day or two I'm like, I'm like more toward like kind of the, a little heaviness. I do it, I do the minimum required but there is not the gladness at all. And then one or two day passes and I get a little more of my energy and then the gladness comes back. So I think here what he is saying is again the contact, the tonality will be different according to the condition. So we're not trying to kind of like a permanent tonality, but that actually we navigate these different tonalities so that 
in a way we're a little more aware of them. With the gladness, enjoy it. The sadness, find a way to creatively engage with it. The equanimity, not much is happening now, but like all things, that can change any moment. Then there is the next one. This is a very interesting one. What are the 36 feelings? There are six feelings of gladness based on the household life and six based on renunciation. Six feelings of sadness based on the household life and six based on renunciation. And six feelings of equanimity based on the household life and six based on renunciation. That's interesting. Here it makes a little difference with what I would call ordinary. Ordinary gladness, ordinary sadness, ordinary equanimity. And here I want to look, because I don't have so much time, more at the equanimity bit. And I think there was a very good question the other day about is equanimity, I don't care, or is equanimity something else? And here I think that's what he explained. You can have, that's what, in another text, he explained what he means by this ordinary equanimity. And he says it's like, who cares? Doesn't matter to me. And so in a way, the ordinary equanimity is more like indifference. It's okay, fatalism, both. But what he's talking about is actually developing an equanimity based on renunciation. And what he means by renunciation, if you look in the text, he means actually coming from an understanding of vipassana coming from inside into the three characteristics. So then the equanimity is really not indifferent. The equanimity is, is, is imbued, I would say, with creative, wise compassion, with creative, wise engagement. So it's an equanimity which comes because we know impermanence, because we have really explored dukkha in its different meaning of exploring satisfaction, insatisfaction, exploring reliability, unreliability, exploring dukkha dukkha, which is pain. And if we explore dukkha dukkha, that's when we can see what happens when we're in pain. It's painful and it's isolating. And from that, giving rise to this wise compassion, this wise response. So we have to be careful to think of equanimity as something a little bland and a little kind of like above it all. Personally, I would say more that equanimity is what is going to give balance and ground and stability to our clarity, to our compassion, to our friendliness. 
so as uh, Tony mentioned already. So in a way, that's what we're trying to develop. Not an indifference, not this kind of wall, but on the contrary, something which will enable us to engage, but without being too destabilized. And that, I think, is interesting in terms of uh, our practice. Because there is another thing that I like to point out in terms of the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neither, is that there is a, a, another citation in the text which said, as long as it's pleasant, it continues to be pleasant. But when it stops, it becomes unpleasant. As long as it's unpleasant, it continues to be unpleasant. But as soon as that stops, it becomes pleasant. And this, I think, is kind of an interesting point to look at in terms of how we might experience some pleasantness. And then suddenly, it stops. And then instead of, in a way, reverting to neither, because unpleasant stop, that by itself becomes unpleasant. And I think we have to be really careful of that because when we experience pleasant, then it's kind of like there is an echo. We look at that tomorrow in the practice. It's kind of like there is an echo of the pleasant. And so we feel, hmm, this is great. That was great. But then it stops. And so it's kind of there is an echo but because it stopped, that stopping created some unpleasantness. And then later on, you might find yourself saying somebody, something nasty to somebody who has not done anything. This is one of the problems with uh, unpleasantness, that it seeps, and then it goes to places which have not much to do with it. But there is other aspect which is when the unpleasantness stops, then it's so pleasant. And I think this is often what we experience in meditation, especially at the beginning, that we might have a moment of stopping, like Stephen talked about yesterday. And that's so pleasant to experience ourselves differently in a non-repetitive manner, in a calm, clear, compassionate manner. And then we think, wow, this is amazing. And then we practice more and more and more, and then we say, but why don't we experience such an amazing kind of, wow, that was so great. Because in a way, the difference becomes much less. Because you, you become more calm, you become more clear. So there is less difference. And that's why you cannot have this big, wow. And I had that experience recently. Because I, I was, because of, I am over 65 now, and they needed somebody for their study, some scientific research in Normandy, in France. So they wanted me to be one of their experts, 10,000 meditation hours, lots of neural tests, and fMRI and PET scan and things like that. So I went to do half of that. And last time, 
I, I had to do this before for something else because they needed somebody and I've already done fMRI, PET scan and the same thing, more or less. This was more heavy duty. But the first time, we had a big surprise. That means this amazing person who has done so many meditations, meditation teacher and whatever. I go to do the fMRI and we thought it would be no problem. They put the thing on me because at the time they are putting something around the neck so that to stabilize your head as you're lying there. And I was not in the machine. And I started to hyperventilate. Like my whole body was saying, no way, because I have a little thing with the lungs, so this was a bad idea. And my whole body was saying, no way, I'm not going to this machine. And they counted on me to go into the machine. This amazing meditation teacher. And I'm sitting there and my body is like, no way, no way, no way, no way. So I kind of, for 10 minutes, I breathe, breathe, yes, 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 breathe, breathe, try to calm, calm, calm. So finally, I think I'm calm enough that I can lie down, have the thing, and I go in. But I go in and my body say, no way, no way, no way. I want to get out, I want to get out. So in order not to kind of give in that and amplify it, I am watching the breath, asking the question, listening to the sound, and saying to myself, you can do it, 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 for 10 minutes, 10 minutes. And then, after 10 minutes, suddenly it goes. And I was like in Nirvana in that machine. Like I was, you know, in kind of intersideral space, like scientific movie. I was like amazing, really like amazing. Then this time, I go to do the fMRI. And so we think it should be a piece of cake, you know. So, okay, I go. And, my, and this time there is nothing here, so that's better. But my body just sees a machine. And he goes, no way. <laughs> so I look at my friend, and we look at the technician. She just needs a little time. So I breathe, I breathe, just two minutes. Lie down, and I do the breath. The question, yes, you can do it, you can do it. But I only had to do it for two minutes. But when, after two minutes, I was okay, there was no, wow. It was just, okay. <laughs> so to me, that's what I mean by the difference. You know, if you have an intense experience, and it stops, and it's like, ah. And I think at the beginning, when we have this moment of the grasping, we experience that. But as we become more clear, more calm, then there won't be so much difference. So there will be a little bit less of this, wow, that was amazing. It doesn't mean you cannot have nice, this grasping moment, but being careful to want to reproduce that experience. Like I'm thought, hmm, I might have the same nice experience I had. <laughs> Did not happen. So, 
that's what I'll cover for now. And then tomorrow morning, we'll look at the last one. The last one, because I've not had the time to do the last one, which is very interesting, so that we can do 36 and 36. And uh, this is about tonality of the past, tonality of the present, tonality of the future. But we'll look at that tomorrow.